This week on Miranda Warnings, we're very pleased to have Michael Miller and Ron Minkoff discussing the disciplinary complaint that they filed against Rudy Giuliani in the Appellate Division First Department. If some solo practitioner in Rochester went in front of a judge and spent a half an hour talking about a, a fraud claim that A, isn't supported by the facts and B, has already been dismissed in the case, he would not, uh, that judge would not suffer that uh, lightly. And Rudy should be treated the same way. Michael and Ron, welcome. Hello, David. Nice to be here. It's great to have you both. Uh, Michael Miller is uh, a, lo a local practitioner in New York City. His practice is related to estate planning and wealth transfer. Uh, Michael Miller is also the 121st president of the New York State Bar Association. During his year as president, he had many great accomplishments. Perhaps his greatest legacy is that the Miranda Warnings podcast was started during his term. So Michael Miller, the father of Miranda Warnings, welcome. Thank you very much, David. Um, how do you feel about having Miranda Warnings being your greatest legacy? Well, I don't know if it's my greatest legacy, but it's one I'm very proud of. And um, it was, uh, it embarked on its very first uh, podcast in the first couple of weeks of my of my term. And I'm, I'm very pleased that it has continued and you've done really excellent work, David. Well, it's great to have you back. You, of course, have been a guest on a number of topics, always very popular. And it's great to have you here talking about this very important topic involving uh, Rudy Giuliani's conduct. I want to also introduce uh, Ron Minkoff, who's a partner at Frankfurt, Kernet, Klein, and Stells. He, he's the head of the professional responsibility group at that law firm. And Ron has spent uh, his career defending attorneys in disciplinary cases. And, and Ron, maybe you could tell us why you suddenly decided to, to switch to the other side in this case uh, against Rudy Giuliani. Well, for, first of all, David, thanks for having me. Um, it's an honor to be here. And um, uh, to answer your question, um, it's not really a question of, of switching to the other side or a sudden switch. We actually made this decision with a great deal of deliberation and thought. Um, and, uh, you know, when Michael approached me to uh, look into it, uh, we looked into it in great detail. You know, uh, there was, it was an easy to make a kind of a knee jerk, you know, reaction that everything that was happening was, you know, uh, was, you know, politically unpleasant and, you know, what Rudy was doing was out of control. It's easy to look at that and just superficially make a complaint, but we decided that we what we would do is is start at the beginning, and really evaluate his conduct, um, as we would with any, you know, new client situation, you know, and 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 look at all of the facts, um, and so you know, me and a couple of associates at my firm really dived into. Everything Rudy did on the on the case in Pennsylvania, which is the one he appeared at, as well as all the public appearances that he made and the public statements that he made uh, before deciding whether or not we would go forward. 
And, um, and it was only after doing that analysis and recognizing that, you know, we are in the business of defending lawyers, not prosecuting them, um, that we made a decision um, at both as uh, me as an individual lawyer, but as a firm, uh, that we should go forward with this. I want to go into a little detail about the facts and allegations that are that are contained in the complaint. But let's just talk about the start of the complaint. I know that uh, both of you have sought and received uh, the s signatures of many prominent lawyers uh, in the New York uh, legal community. Uh, I'm reading reports about the complaint that was filed by you and others. Um, and it's referred to as the Miller complaint, which I think is, is very unfair because Michael Miller has so many varied complaints uh, to, to have to focus on this one uh, in particular. But uh, tell us a little bit about the consortium of, of uh, leaders that you have that signed on to this complaint and why you thought uh, that was important, Michael. Let me answer the second part of your uh, question first. Um, I, I believe that we members of, of our great and noble profession have a duty to take appropriate measures when we believe that a member of our profession admitted to practice law in New York has violated New York's rules of professional conduct. Um, I reached out to a number of past leaders of the New York State Bar Association initially uh, back in um, late November, just asking them what they thought about the um, conduct of, of, of Mr. Giuliani. And this was long before the January 6th siege on the, on the Capitol. Um, I discovered that, uh, you know, Giuliani's post-election conduct and pre-election conduct had generated a good deal of discussion amongst the group. And then um, I reached out to leaders of the legal ethics community, like Ron, who is one of the leading lights there, and, and, and a number of others. And uh, I was uh, uh, you know, interested to learn that they too had uh, been discussing the ramifications of, of uh, Giuliani's conduct. Frankly, I, I was actually hesitant to file the complaint. Um, you know, despite Giuliani's false statements, accusations, baseless litigation, I was uh, made aware that First Amendment free speech protections have been viewed very broadly in the grievance context and attorney grievance committees have historically been reluctant to get involved in what are deemed political disputes. And as a personal note, as you're well aware, uh, David, I received a good deal of very hateful uh, social media communications posted during my term as State Bar President in response to my criticism of former President Trump's inhumane immigration policies, his uh, branding the media enemies of the people, and frankly, his pathological lies. And I anticipated that bringing a complaint against Mr. Giuliani would 
likely generate similar anger, vitriol, and hostility. And frankly, I, I didn't relish that prospect. But ultimately, after speaking with other uh, leaders of the association and, and other uh, le- uh, organizations in our profession, I felt that if not we, then who should be bringing the um, uh, bringing Mr. Giuliani to account for his outrageous conduct. And so I had seven or eight past presidents of the New York State Bar Association, as well as several members of its executive committee, uh, its current president, the New York County Lawyers Association as an organization signed on to our complaint. Uh, the last uh, two presidents of the New York City Bar uh, also signed on. Many ethics leaders uh, from around our state signed on. And, uh, uh, you know, towards the end of November, when I had circulated the uh, a memo to our past uh, leaders, it became clear to me that, um, you know, this was something we, we, we ought to be doing. Let me ask you a little bit about the the, the substance. Now, the, the complaint you filed is a very thorough, a fulsome complaint uh, with factual allegations and support, multiple claims of violation of the rules of professional responsibility. In your mind, uh, what is the most significant violation uh, uh, that was that took place as a result of uh, Giuliani's conduct. Well, let me say, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to Ron to to um, discuss that because he's more familiar with the rules than I am. But I think it's all cumulative, David. Uh, you know, you have Rule three point one, which talks about non meritorious claims and contentions. Uh, a, a lawyer cannot. Uh, a lawyer's conduct is frivolous uh, if the lawyer knowingly asserts material factual statements that are false. Um, Rule 4.1, truthfulness in statements to others. Um, In the course of representing a client, a lawyer is not permitted to knowingly make a statement of fact or law to a third person, a false statement of fact or law to a third person. Uh, That goes to many of the false statements made in speeches and to the press uh, in in the course of Mr. Giuliani's representation of former President Trump. And then there's uh, Rule 8.4, which is sort of an omnibus rule uh, about misconduct. And it it says, in essence, that a lawyer shall not engage in conduct involving dishonest fraud, dishonesty, fraud, uh, deceit, or misrepresentation, or engage in any other conduct that adversely reflects on the lawyer's fitness as a lawyer. And, and I think that last part, you know, it engages in any conduct that adversely reflects on the lawyer's fitness as a lawyer. We all saw the pictures of, of uh, uh, Giuliani with, with the mascara running down his face and in front of the um, Four Seasons landscaping. Uh, it, 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 I, I think that you take his conduct cumulatively. The the uh, 
baseless allegations of, of fraud and and uh, um, the attempts at, at at blatant voter suppression. Uh, I, I I just don't see how um, uh, how, how there's any defense, frankly. So so that's an answer you'd rather have. That's a, a question you'd rather have Ron answer. Um, I'm not sure how long you'd go when it was a question that you wanted to answer. <laughs> Rod, I'm sorry, we're out of time. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I might have said much the same thing, and certainly about the cumulativeness, the cumulative nature of these allegations. But, but really, there were two things that our, our team at our firm saw as, as the most important. Uh, one was, uh, in my mind, was the claim itself that, that he was bringing um, in, in the Bookvar case in Pennsylvania. And this is something that most people really don't know about, about it, but really the claim was that because two people had their absentee ballots disallowed in counties A and B in Pennsylvania, that meant that everybody who filed an absentee ballot in counties C, D, E, F, and G had to have their votes disallowed. So based on the fact that two people's ballots were, were not allowed in two counties, something like two and a half million ballots had to be disallowed in the other counties. And the Republican judge was just like, you know, scratching his head, you know, doesn't make any sense. And the Third Circuit was equally critical of of that. Um, it was just a, it was just a wild claim, and so that's one problem. And the other problem, in a nutshell, was the was the lying that continued, not just in front of that court, because most of most of Rudy's presentation in Brookvar was about fraud, was that there, this was a massive fraud. This election was a fraud and it was orchestrated by Democrats, by a Democratic mafia that was, um, that was orchestrating this, not just in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, but in cities across the country um, to, to falsify the election. And he had no basis for it, no evidence for it. There's 68 cases where they tried, literally 68 cases where they tried to show that and, and it failed in each one. And here he was making this argument in front of the Pennsylvania federal judge in a case where the fraud claim had already been dismissed. It was, he just went on for a half an hour in this publicly filmed court proceeding about a claim that had been dismissed and then after having to admit to the judge that the claim had been dismissed, he then went to the Georgia legislature and spent hours there making the same arguments, then the Michigan legislature making the same arguments. And both of the legislative bodies are tribunals under the New York um, uh, Rules of Professional Conduct. So, so he's making false statements, unsubstantiated statements, uh, either intentionally or recklessly, in front of tribunal after tribunal. Um, and and um, it, it was, you know, it's hard to justify that behavior, even under the First Amendment. But I, can I just add something to, to what Ron said? You know, we lawyers have all heard, uh, you know, the, the phrase fr frivolous 
proceeding frivolous argument that that an attorney may not make a, a make a frivolous claim. And while the word frivolous doesn't appear in what you can only characterize as the blistering decision of the judge in in Pennsylvania, Judge Brand, uh, in that Bookvar case. Um, it, it, I think that you read it, and I, I submit you can only uh, it can only be interpreted as confirming that Giuliani made material, factual statements that were false. And and he wrote, I I, I have it here. Um, the judge, the judge wrote in his order that uh, President Trump had asked the court to disenfranchise almost seven million voters, and the judge noted, and this is from the decision, one might expect that when seeking such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption. That has not happened. That has not happened. So it, it's sort of like uh, what Potter Stewart said about pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh, fr frivolous uh, proceeding, uh, frivolous arguments. If this isn't the the definition of it, then we'll never see it. I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Bookfar litigation. Uh, in that case, there was. Uh, a he, uh, Giuliani continued with a claim of fraud when there was actually no factual support for fraud. And, and you've, you talk about this in, in the complaint. He held a press conference on the courthouse steps claiming fraud and then goes into court and admits that there's no proof of fraud. Now, that also uh, is a violation of, of our rules. Uh, I think it's important to talk about this and the, and the, the higher degree of responsibility and the higher standard of conduct that attorneys are, are held to. Because after the last four years, the public has kind of become somewhat numb to false claims in the media. Uh, but attorneys are held to a higher standard when they're involved uh, in litigation. Why is it that attorneys are held to a higher standard as far as uh, truth and facts uh, than an elected politician is? because we're officers of the court and we, we have uh, an obligation um, as officers of the court to uphold the integrity of the legal system. And I think the main motivator behind what, what this, this complaint and what Michael wanted to do and what we wanted to do as his lawyers was to make very clear um, that the legal profession and the leaders of the legal profession in our state would not stand idly by while this kind of conduct was going on, while somebody who wrapping himself in the imprimatur of his role as a former chief prosecutor in the Southern District and as, a, and as the former mayor and, and as somebody who can, uh, a prosecutor who can smell crime, uh, you know, a mile away uh, is, is out there um, uh, attacking the integrity of the election in another state and doing it on grounds where, uh, doing it where he had no grounds. Uh, he was just, uh, you know, it's just a feeling he had. Um, and, and we, you know, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And we were concerned, and we said this in the complaint, that members of the public would think this is what lawyers do. That, yeah, you go in, you make whatever arguments you can make, you come up with whatever you can, 
you know, uh, bring out of thin air and present it to the court. That's what a lawyer is supposed to do. And so we have to say to the public, no, that's not what lawyers are supposed to do. We're supposed to rely on the facts and the law and not just anything that we can make up to, to, to uh, satisfy our clients. And, and that's, I think, what is the real essence of our complaint. Right. And of course, a politician, if they continue to, to lie and deceive the public, they can you know, maybe not be reelected. But when a lawyer goes into court, uh, must uh, be uh, truthful and honest about their uh, position and the facts. Obviously, they can present the facts in a way that's advantageous to their client, uh, but can't make up facts and allegations. And, and that's the difference. And I think sometimes for the public, it might be, uh, there might be a blurring, especially for someone like Giuliani, who has been, has been both a, a politician, as you indicated, uh, at, at, at one point, a highly respected one, and also uh, a, a respected prosecutor in the past. Uh, but it's not the same. And uh, uh, Michael, do you want to comment on the standard that attorneys have for truthfulness? Well, well, in fact, sure. But I would also say that because of Giuliani's position as a former U.S. attorney and as a former um, executive, uh, the mayor of New York City, uh, America's mayor, that, um, that at an even higher standard uh, is appropriate. But you know, the, what what standard the, are are we supposed to um, are we supposed to observe? We have the New York Rules of Professional Conduct. In the very beginning, what they refer to as the preamble, it says every lawyer is, and I'm paraphrasing, but every lawyer is responsible for observance of of the rules and also should aid in um, securing the observance by other lawyers, and that neglect of these responsibilities compromises the independence of the profession and the uh, way the public views us, the public interest uh, that that we serve. So, um, you know, Giuliani's conduct, all that we've talked about, whether it was uh, the Pennsylvania litigation, the presentations before the legislatures in uh, Georgia and elsewhere, the countless public statements uh, to the to the press and in in various ways, um, I, I think collectively, you know, we it, it's incontrovertible. This is conduct that's so far, um, it, it goes so far beyond what is appropriate. And of course, culminating in his speech uh, on the podium at the Ellipse in, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, when he urged a crowd of, of angry Trump supporters to engage in trial by combat. Um, you know, Giuliani's long and distinguished career as a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and later as mayor um, highlight what makes Giuliani's conduct so incredibly objectionable. I want to kind of amplify something Michael just said, but it's very important. You know, we have 
we have what we in the ethics world sometimes call a one-size-fits-all code uh, or set of rules of ethics, right? Every lawyer in the state has to abide by these rules. We don't have separate rules for Wall Street lawyers and separate rules for small town lawyers and separate rules for real estate lawyers. Everybody has to abide by the same rules. So that's, that's important. But one of the things that people are, were concerned about and what I was concerned about is that here we have a guy representing the president of the United States uh, or his campaign. And, and he's you know, making these statements that he's making. And a lot of people are saying, well, we, can, we should give him more leeway. This is political. This is a huge issue. This is a big deal. And I'll tell you, if some solo practitioner in Rochester went in front of a judge and spent a half an hour talking about a, a fraud claim that A, isn't supported by the facts and B, has already been dismissed in the case, he would not, uh, that judge would not suffer that uh, lightly. And Rudy should be treated the same way for doing the same kind of uh, misconduct. Um, and, and that's really important. It is important. And, uh, you know, some may say that, well, you know, the out-of-court statements, at least, uh, what what Michael was referring to on the insurrection of January 6th, where um, his language was inciting uh, of that crowd, uh, that's protected by the First Amendment and, and really doesn't go to the standards of attorney conduct, but it's not true, of course. Attorneys are held to a higher standard in everything they say, even if it's not directly related to a case and it's not in a courtroom, um, in everything they do. And there are occasions where you could cross the line as an attorney. There's a notorious case that I'm sure you're both familiar with where uh, an attorney was caught on uh, video going on a a racist rant um, at a deli. And it was caught and went on social media, and uh, that attorney was censored um, by uh, New York State. Um, he it wasn't involving a case, but he was involved in conduct that was so um, offensive uh, that it was something that required censor um, by the disciplinary committee. So, I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about an attorney's responsibility. Uh, just in general, to not cross that line? Well, 8, 8.4H, which is the rule under which that attorney you were just discussing was, was, uh, was, uh, was sanctioned, was censured, um, is, uh, has been kind of a source of controversy because it's so vague in its language. You know, it's anything relating to your fitness to practice. The disciplinary committee has used it that way at times, um, and against some of my clients too, um, but it tends to be used in the context of offensive speech or false speech or recklessly false speech. I mean, the leading case was Liz Holtzman um, about 30 years ago when she uh, uh, falsely uh, accused the judge publicly of having uh, forced a sexual abuse victim to reenact the crime in his chambers. And it turned out she had gotten that information from a low level uh, trial assistant. She hadn't checked it out with anybody else. And it turned out not to be true. And the court uh, censured her for these recklessly false statements. So if Liz Holtzman could be punished 
for recklessly attacking the integrity of one civil servant, a judge. Um, how can Rudy Giuliani not be sanctioned for attacking the integrity of literally hundreds, if not thousands, of, of public servants, election officials across the country uh, for accusing them recklessly of fraud? And uh, and you know, so so you know, 8.4H applies just as it does for the reckless and um, abusive conduct. And of course, here it was not designed just to attack somebody for their ethnicity, which is not a just and it's not a small thing by any means. But here it's to attack, undermine the integrity of the entire presidential election. Um, so, you know, very serious things that he's doing here. And we shouldn't just view them as, you know, quote unquote, political or First Amendment protected speech. This was really designed to undermine the integrity of, of a process that had taken place. Yeah, and um, you know, some people have said the uh, trial by combat uh, comment on January sixth was political speech, and it was uh, merely metaphorical. And um, you know, I but as I keep using the word context, you have to take it all in in context. And I think the only conclusion you can come to is that this was reckless and dangerous language and went well beyond zealous advocacy. You know, so all attorneys have a responsibility if they uh, become aware of a violation of the rules in a case that they're involved in, uh, involving another attorney to, uh, to report it. Um, that would normally be in a case, so if it was an opposing attorney and someone was was making up facts or fabricating evidence, um, the opposing attorney in that case would have knowledge of that and, and may have an obligation to bring it up. Perhaps a judge who became aware of something would have an, an obligation to report something. Um, in in the cases that you, you're citing here, why wouldn't it be, you know, the attorney or the judge uh, who uh, was involved in the case that's that's filing the disciplinary complaint rather than this uh, you know group of of highly respected attorneys? Well, it, it, you know this is a, something we struggled with a little bit um, too. Is is you know did we have a reporting obligation under Rule Eight Point Three, which uh, requires you to know of a substantial violation of the rules that go to the lawyer's honesty? trustworthiness and fitness to practice. And uh, one of the other groups, um, the Lawyers Defending Democracy complaint, which was filed uh, the day before ours, uh, actually made a point that they felt that they had an obligation uh, to report. Um, we kind of kept that out, you know, uh, of, of this as, you know, being a mandatory reporting situation. Um, not because it, 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 it was or it wasn't, um, but because uh, you know we were asking people to sign on to our complaint, and people for a lot of a number of reasons, uh, political, personal, weren't signing on, and we certainly weren't going to say to people who are asking to sign the complaint, um, if you don't sign this, you're violating the rules. You know, it's kind of not uh, not the way to approach people. So we kind of downplayed that issue. Um, but you know, we 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 definitely uh, 
considered the 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 notion that we were we were required to do this. And and as I said earlier, if not us, if not we leaders of the bar, then who should be bringing such a complaint? Well, I suggested that it might be the opposing counsel or the judge uh, that that should be bringing well, the, the claim the complaint if there was one. As I said earlier, the the judge did everything but call uh, Mr. Giuliani's uh, argument frivolous. Um, so um, it certainly, um, I would have gotten a heck of a lot less hate mail if the attorneys on the other side or the or the judge uh, had had filed the complaint. But um, right. and we had discussions really for a couple of months before we before we filed. Um, you know, it was not a foregone conclusion that we would file. We we did uh, Ron and his team at his firm did an extraordinary job, spent countless hours going through the record, uh, developing the record, um, and and creating a transcript where there was none. While the proceeding was broadcasted, it, there was no there was there was no transcript. So. Uh, the the amount of time, effort, energy, uh, considering whether we should bring the proceeding and analyzing all of the circumstances and facts led us to uh, the uh, conclusion that um, we that we should and we must and we did. Right now, of course, your complaint uh, was was researched uh, thoroughly. Uh, you, you spent a lot of time on it. It's, it's very comprehensive. Um, but getting to your issue of, you know, for example, hate mail, there's a lot of people out there that have some attorneys that they don't like. Um, and, uh, there were some attorneys I don't like, Yeah, but, but let's, but you have a responsibility as an attorney. You're not going to, you're not going to bring an allegation, um, that's, that's unfounded or just based upon personal opinion. It's going to be based upon facts, but I wonder, um, are, is there a potential for exposing, Lawyers, because anyone can file a complaint with the with the disciplinary committee in in the various departments. Um, if there's uh, you know a member of the public that that feels as though someone and who's an attorney has has said something that may or may not violate the rules, uh, do attorneys have to worry about being uh, having disciplinary? Uh, Actions brought against them, even if uh, even if they're unfounded, it's a very serious uh, uh, proposition for an attorney to even just have a disciplinary complaint, let let alone one that's that's uh, found to be credible. So, I guess the question is: Can anyone file a complaint against any attorney that they have a problem with? There is some protection against unfounded claims, but um, and. We uh, one of the one of the things that I considered in the calculus of whether to bring a proceeding was was uh, just that that issue, David, because I suspected that our complaint would get a good deal of attention, which it which it has has gotten. Um, but uh, maybe Ron can explain the process a little bit. But, uh, just because there's a, a complaint is filed doesn't mean that anything. Uh, any sort of sanction is is going to occur. In fact, in in the vast majority of complaints, um, there 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 is no uh, discipline 
but but it might be worthwhile to have a a, a brief uh, synopsis of what the process is. Yeah, Ron, maybe you could tell us because so you filed the complaint, right? So it goes to the disciplinary committee, well, and so so now what happens? What's the what are the next steps, and and what's the potential conclusion? I think this situation is a little unusual uh, because of the number of complaints that have been filed. Um, and we don't know exactly how many there have been. Um, but in the normal course, what would happen is that our complaint would be sent to uh, Rudy and his lawyer, and they would have 20 days or and usually longer to respond. And then their response would come back to us as the complainant and we could reply. All of this being done in letters, letter submissions. And then they are gathered together by um, a paralegal. Um, sometimes the case is assigned to an attorney earlier, but either the attorney assigned or a paralegal gathers them up, uh, gives them to one of the staff attorneys, and that staff attorney determines whether or not further investigation is warranted whether to have uh, depositions or whatever. And eventually they come to a point where the, the staff makes a recommendation to the committee, which actually exists, it's a committee. Uh, in, there were two committees actually in Manhattan in the first department of you know, about 25 lawyers each. And they evaluate it and decide whether they wanna bring formal charges or whether they want to dismiss it or bring um, a given admonition, which is informal discipline. And so, and if they bring formal charges, then you can end up with a censure or a, uh, or a suspension or a disbarment. And what's the, what's the, uh, the, the punishment that you're seeking here? We, we are not seeking any specific punishment. We specifically did not ask for that. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. It's kind of like asking the police when you go in for a complaint uh, to say, this guy committed a crime and I want him to go to jail for eight years. You know, it's, it's not part of the process for the complainant to say, I want this person, you know, sanctioned, I want him censured or I want him suspended or I want him, they, you don't ask for anything specific. That's in their hands. They're the prosecutors. They decide what it is. All we wanted was to say, uh, you know, this person should be sanctioned. And, and, and then it's up to them to decide how much. And so I think this is a, this is a good time for a, a little bit of a public service announcement. The complaint is filed with the appellate division in which uh, the attorney is licensed to practice. It is not filed. It's, it's filed in the, uh, in the department in which uh, the attorney has their primary office. Right. Okay. So uh, it's the, it's it's filed in the in the department. Uh, the New York State has four uh, departments. Uh, this one is filed in the first department, which includes Manhattan. Um, but importantly, it's not filed with the New York State Bar Association. The New York State Bar Association uh, does not have any licensing uh, responsibilities for attorneys, nor does it have any disciplinary responsibilities for attorneys in New York State Bar Association as a voluntary membership organization. Sometimes that's confused in the public because in other states, the bar, the State Bar Association is uh, directly affiliated uh, with the uh, court system. 
in this state, in New York State, the New York State Bar Association is not affiliated with the court system. Uh, in fact, New York State Bar Association is the largest voluntary state bar association uh, in the country. Um, so at this point, uh, is there there's an opportunity potentially for you to reply to the disciplinary committee if there's papers filed by the in opposition? Yes, we we would, you know, we normally we would expect that they would be sent to us. We might have to uh, push them a little bit here because there were so many complainants. Um, so we gotta we gotta make sure that we we see whatever the response is, but it's still early. Um, so I doubt there's been a response at this point. So uh, any any so any next steps for the the two of you with respect to this case? What are you hoping for? Um, well, I think eventually we're hoping that the system will um, will work and that uh, this kind of conduct will be punished in some way, in a public way, so that there's a state you know a statement made. Uh, to the public and to the profession, that there are limits to what you can do on behalf of a client. Um, I, you know, it, it's in some ways it's out of our hands, uh, as it should be. Um, and and my public service announcement is to say that, you know, uh, we have tremendous respect for the people who who are bar prosecutors. They have a tough job. Um, People's livelihoods are in their hands and reputations are in their hands. Um, they are overworked and underpaid and underfunded. And one of the areas uh, as the court system struggles, as you know, uh, David, uh, you know, the court system struggling for money right now uh, uh, because of the pandemic and, and everything, uh, probably the last corner of the court system to get money is going to be the, the disciplinary process. And, um, you know, they, they need to have the resources to stand up to a lawyer like Rudy Giuliani or lawyers at large firms who, who can lawyer up and bring a lot of resources to bear to stop charges against them. Well, Michael Miller, Ron Minkoff, I, I want to thank you for your dedication to our profession. I want to thank you for being with us on Miranda Warnings uh, and enlightening us about the disciplinary process, uh, specifically about the complaint against uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, these are all obviously very serious and important topics. We have a lighthearted feature called Music Book or Movie. So maybe you can share with us something that uh, is helping you get through these difficult times. Michael, anything? Well, uh, you know, working with someone of, of Ron's caliber uh, has helped me, frankly, get through uh, these challenging times. Um, he's reminded me so many times in so many ways about the, um, um, the nobility of our profession. It's and with with people like Ron, it it gives me it gives me faith in the future of our profession, uh, and and um, it it is has been a, a source of comfort, frankly. Ron, uh, I, I don't. I think you're obligated now to say something nice about <laughs> about Michael. That that it's not the Netflix series that uh, you have uh, got you through this. That it's 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 Michael's wit. Yeah, I had I had to 
I, I mean, I, I, I love working with Michael. I, I love working with you, David, when I have the opportunity to do it. Um, I miss all of my uh, colleagues um, in the State Bar and NICLA, who I don't get to see personally. Um, and, um, uh, you know, those, those connections are really important, and we try to keep them up, um, you know, constantly. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's my bar colleagues who I've been in touch with, and, um, and particularly my ethics bar colleagues around the country, who, you know, I, I speak to almost daily, uh, you know, as we support each other through this process. There's a lot of angry lawyers out there, a lot of angry clients out there. Uh, and I think the pandemic's made it worse. So, so we need to support each other during this time. Absolutely. There's a lot of angry people out there. But just to, to um, uh, address your, your, your question, David, uh, over the last uh, few weeks, I've binged uh, two long series. One was Rome and the and followed by i claudius so i went from julius caesar mark antony cleopatra uh and augustus through um uh, claudius and then nero so i you know with with a little side venture to to caligula i don't know what all of that means but um it was uh, it was an interesting journey. Well, let me ask you because I watched Rome and I've been looking for I Claud. Where did you stream I Claudius? I didn't. I have the uh, CDs. Oh, okay. All right. Uh-huh. We'll have to talk later. Um, and Ron, anything other than just the the good feelings you get from the Bar Association? Well, for me, you know, I'm a music person. I, I uh, in in pre pandemic times, I was in two bands. Uh, we actually played a gig two weeks before the shutdown, um, and we've uh, we've been uh, communicating with each other, but not able to play together. But I've been listening to a lot of music, um, and uh, this is going to surprise you, given my age. But Taylor Swift is uh, somebody who gets me through. She is amazing, an amazing artist, and. I recommend her for people of all ages. I always suspected that about you. Ron Minkoff was a Swifty. Well, Michael and Ron, uh, it's it's wonderful to see you and hear your, your voice. Thank you for uh, being with us on uh, Miranda Warnings and, and certainly brightening my day. Thank you, thank you both. Well, thank you for giving us this opportunity. And thank you for having me. If you like Miranda Warnings, you have the right to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.